You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 547 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Monday evening, uh, a fine Monday evening, I would say. And joining me for the first time in quite some time is uh, Chris Barnwall. What's up, man? Man, it's been a while. Like, in this entire time frame, my lord and savior of, that, of football, Blake Bortles, has been benched, started again, <laughs> benched, and now replaced with Nick Foles. For, like, all of the money in all the world, which is... Um... Interesting. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to go into that because that that's like a that's like a ten minute um, detour on the podcast. But welcome <laughs> back. It's been. Uh, I wouldn't actually went, actually went and found this. You and I talk a lot because you uh, you and I both do some work for Dime, so we have the same Slack channel regularly. We talk all the time, but we've not talked in this forum since like mid October, which is a long time. Um, and we're going to talk about what we talked about then at the end of the pod. So we spent a lot of time about the bottom tier of the NBA on that podcast and sort of projecting what it was going to look like. We have some hits, we have some misses, and we'll come back to that at the end. But before we get to that, let's talk about some, some Hawks stuff right now. And, you know, the Hawks are sort of fun, I would say. I think it's the most fun I've had covering the team in two or three years. Um, you're on you're on the other side, though. You're, you're, a, you're a national figure, Chris. Um, <laughs> what is your uh, outside opinion, both broad, and then we can sort of narrow it out from there on what you've seen from the Hawks, both recently and for the whole season? To start the year off, I did not enjoy them in any capacity. They were on one of my they were on my short list of teasers. Like I might throw them on if there's nothing else on, but I'm going to generally avoid them because even when they're playing like a team I am interested in, just because there was so little to glean from their early season stuff. Trey Young was going through rookie growth pains. Uh, John Collins was injured. Torian Prince has not improved in any capacity whatsoever. <laughs> it's just it was not enjoyable to watch uh so uh but lately they have been entertaining it's i mean a big part of that has been young like kind of emerging kind of into his own nba player to what he wants to become collins is back and healthy uh herter has been that's how you say his last name right herter Herter. like herter i'm sorry yeah no it's okay people it's funny like i'm so conditioned and i realize people don't know and it's kind of hilarious because every once in a while I'll be talking to somebody that's not in Atlanta. It's like, oh, wait, that, no, it's, yeah, it's just, it's Herter with a H-U. So it's kind of funny, but yeah, there it is. And it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. And I understand that. I had the same problem when they, when he, when he first got there, but uh, there you go. Now that, that makes sense. I also have a silent E in my middle name or in my last name. So in right you in the do. middle. So I, I respect it. I, I'm all in on Kevin Herter. <laughs> But, <laughs> for, for that reason uh, only, um, the for that reason, only. Kevin Herter, future Hall of Famer for the for the Silent E crowd. But as a player, he's been pretty solid. Uh, the Hawks are far worse with him off the court than they are with him on the court in the time he's played this year. And I've liked what I've seen from him. He's, I don't know if he's gonna turn into the Clay Thompson part two they think he's going to be, but I really like what he is as a prospect and what he can bring to them. And I'm kind of excited to see how he grows as a as a shooter and as a two guard in an NBA where they're really kind of expecting these guards to at least have some sort of ball handling ability. Not saying the herder doesn't, just I don't think I've seen him do too much of that so far. I think that's really been tasked more with uh, Collins and Young, but I would be interested to see how he grows. 
Yeah, I mean, it's actually funny. Um, this is a bit of a spoiler, I, I suppose. If you're listening to this late, late, late Monday night, you will be uh, spoiled on this a little bit. But on Tuesday morning, uh, your friend and mine, Jeff Siegel, wrote about Herter and his development and what the Hawks could do with him, um, kind of putting the ball in his hands more down the stretch of the season. So I won't give it all away, but he's someone that does have the ability to handle and create and pass, especially he's a really good passer already, but they haven't given him too many opportunities to do that. You'll see it in small doses. Like he had the ball in his hands a bunch on Sunday because he had he kind of just had it going. So they fed him a lot, but uh, in general, I think they could probably stand to use him more. And that kind of gets into what Jeff is writing about. But so, yeah, it's uh, interesting to say that. Cause I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, obviously you, have, you haven't seen every second of Kevin Hurst's career. Like I have. Um, and I think people do have that idea that he's just kind of this, one-dimensional shooter type, and that's kind of what you, what, kind of what I thought even early on in evaluating him before the draft. And I think it's easy to see that if you if you catch him on the wrong night, and he has sort of one of those games where he's just kind of floating out there, not doing too much on the ball. You probably would think that, especially because he's not very strong. He gets blown off his spots, etc. But then you see him with the ball in his hands. It's like, oh, this guy actually has some some wiggle, some creation, some ball handling. He can kind of do some stuff if they let him. I think that's probably something that they're going to try to want. I guess they're going to want to try to have him do more of in the future, even if it's not going to be a primary thing for him. Yeah, with Kevin Herter, like, it's not that I didn't think he had the ability to create. It was more just – I could tell that he wasn't really finding opportunities to do so. And that makes sense when you're a rookie on a team like the Hawks where you see they're trying to – they're so young in their main pieces that they're still trying to kind of figure out how to be a ball movement team and share the ball in a way that makes – like, there are teams out there that move the ball a lot and – uh, we're going to talk about them later, but the Magic, early in the season, they'd move the ball, and it was just pointless. Like, they're just moving the ball for the sake of moving the ball. It's like, okay, they're moving the ball around. That's nice, but it's not actually cre- making the defense move. It's not creating anything. And then you see this sometimes on the Hawks where you see the wheels turning in their head. We're like, okay, we're trying to figure out how to figure how to move the ball into places where we can attack properly and make use of our best assets. And because Kevin Herter and Trey Young – and John Collins are these young guys still kind of emerging. They haven't really figured out how to do that effectively. So you'll have these games, like you mentioned, where Herter's just kind of floating out there because he doesn't really get know where to attack because he knows that he's not quite the attacker that some of his teammates are. That doesn't mean he can't do it, but he doesn't know how to do it properly yet, so he's not going to do it because his coaches have probably been like, no, only attack like in these specific spots. He's, he's still learning. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they wanted to be to be more aggressive in general and play with more force. Part of that's just he's not he's not he's not very strong right now, and I think he knows it. And I think at times you see that rookiness come out of him, where he doesn't really have that assertiveness. But you know, in general, he's he was coming alive, and obviously Sunday was a huge night for him when he had, when he had 27 and 17 in one quarter, which was good to see him sort of break out. But I just looked something up because I actually forgot about this to some extent how bad it was. You mentioned early on how about how ugly the Hawks were in the first you know month and a half, two months. Um, they were three and 16 to open the season, and they also God. were six and they were also six and 23 to open the season. So, um, a lot of the was- Suns for and the Bulls for making everyone forget about that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, part of that, as you mentioned there, I think briefly, was that Collins was out for some of that. You know, this year when Collins plays, the Hawks are 18 and 31, which isn't great by any means, but 18 and 31 is not like embarrassing. It's like, you know, 37%, 1% or something like that, which is, you know, for over 82 games, it's like 30 wins. And that's kind of what you would think that they would be for the most part. Without Collins, it's worse than that. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of what I, you know, it's Collins is not this like, unbelievable all-star right now but at the same time 
the gap between him and everybody else at power forward spots been huge and he's been really, really good this season. So that explains that. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about Trey specifically because obviously he's the guy everybody has an opinion about right now. He's been awesome recently. You know, he had a couple of shaky shooting nights the last week or so, but before that, he had the huge breakout where he was, you know, he had like, he had like a 40 point average for a week. He had the 49 point game and the four overtime game against um, Chicago, et cetera. So, how has your opinion changed on him, if at all, since uh, I guess before the, before the season started and then during the season when he kind of had that rough month in November? Since then, he's been really good. So, what, what have you seen from him recently? I don't want to say this is about what we expected of him because he is playing the way that you that you want him to play and he's playing great and I don't want to take away from that. But I do think the path he's kind of taken of starting off really rough, maybe not shooting well because he's trying to get used to NBA defenses, kind of understanding him more and finding picking his spots better and becoming a more efficient player and a better shooter as a result of that and more confident as the season's kind of gone on. I think that was all kind of expected of him. The results are maybe higher than what we expected, but the, but the process of how he's getting to those is about what we were, I think about what I don't think it's unfair to say is what you really wanted to see from him and about what he should have been doing. Um, I do, I have been, I think when we talked about him previously, cause I think we talked about him in the first podcast. We yeah, we did, did a little bit. October. I think we both said that we liked him as a passer and that was going to be his best trait. And I think we're both correct. His best yes. <laughs> ability is a passer. Like for sure. The shooting is what the, gets the highlights, but he is miles ahead of the average rookie in understanding passing lanes and knowing how to move the ball in the elites in effective ways and getting the ball to certain people, maybe not in the running and offense, but at least in like getting the ball from point A to point B. He's incredible at that. I really think that's going to develop and improve over time. And that will make up for some of the issues that I think are never going to go away, which you still see now, which is, yes, he's 6'2", but he's kind of small, and he's going to get stronger, but I don't think he's going to be like you – know, he's not going to become Marcus Smart. He's not going <laughs> to no. become John Wall. Like I think we compared him to Kevin Walker last time in the sense where it's like he needs to learn how to be quick and know how to use his quickness. Yep. And I think because of his passing – he might ever he might never have the handles of a Kemba Walker or a Kyrie Irving type player, but he's going to be able to use that to keep defenses on edge and be like, okay, if you're going to attack me in a certain way, I'm just going to dump it off to the guy over there who's cutting and catching the defense off guard because I can hit those lanes that other people can't with my passing. And I think that I think that's going to be his ability to kind of tear defenses apart. Um, defensively, I mean, what were you expecting? <laughs> this, I mean, that, that's the thing about this. Like, I think if anybody watched him in college, this is what you should have expected. And it doesn't mean he can't improve. I think Kemba's a good, actually, a pretty good comp on that end of the floor too. And that that's someone who doesn't have the greatest physical gifts defensively. He's pretty small, but you don't hear people talk about how bad Kemba is on defense. Like, he's not great by any means. Kemba's but, tremendous in the sense where he's smart. He knows when to attack for steals. He that's knows what when I to mean. Charges like, right. That's the way that Trey – that's the path that Trey can take to be passable on defense. I, I wouldn't project him to be as good as Kemba has been recently, but at the same time, that's kind of the path he has to take. It has to be awareness, has to be quick hands, you know, op- opportunistic. He's never going to be physically able to just withstand a lot of these matchups and, you know, be a stopper. But at the same time, you can get to the point, maybe, if you squint hard enough – 
that you can get to where he to where Kemba is now. And Kemba now again is like someone you you never really hear nationally like oh Kemba's a terrible defender. What what's the problem there? It's like no, no one talks about that because Kemba worked really hard and he's okay. Like he's not a good defender, but he's not a disaster either. And that's kind of the path if you want to be optimistic about Trey's defense, that's kind of the way he has to do it. I would honestly argue a quick aside. I would honestly argue that Kemba's a good defender only because he know only because he's so smart on that end, he's able to be effective to where he does improve defense. But if you're going to just throw him in a one-on-one isolation situation against like a bigger guard, such as, I don't know, Giannis, like let's say Giannis is running point guard that day. Like Kemba has no chance. He has no chance. He does not have the physical gifts for it. So in that, in that stance, you're correct. But I do think he is a good defender, which is why I will say, while I think you're correct, I don't know if he can ever become Kemba as a defender. I think that mindset of if you want him to be passable to at least to maybe even good on defense, that is the path to take. Do not care about being the physically more gifted guy. Care about being the smarter guy and the more quick guy and the guy that understands defenses and offenses better. For sure. And I think the comp there is also about size. Like they're very similar sized players, Young and Kemba. I think one comp that I've been hearing a little bit more is Dame Lillard. Dame is a little bit bigger than Trey. Um, and I he's think, also honestly, a worse defender, not than Trey. Than, uh, not than, than Trey, Trey, but yeah, he's yeah. worse than he's worse than Kemba. I agree with that right now. But but Dame is someone who got better. Like Dame was really 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 bad early, and now he's okay. Like he's not good again. Uh, I do think Kemba is better. He's not Kyrie time, Irving level of are you actually out there defense? <laughs> right. I mean the thing about again, I, no one needs Trey Young to be good defensively. That's not something that the Hawks need him to do. They need him to be someone that is just not a complete disaster. And that is an important distinction to make. But I think two of, the, two of the comps that I've heard a lot of are Kemba and Dame. I think Kemba is a more high-end outcome, especially for someone who is similar-sized. Dame's a little bit bigger, but I get that one too. It's like, how bad? It's all about degrees. And um, that's one... I mean, Kemba is someone that I've seen people use a lot for Trey. Offensively, they're, you know, they're not that similar, in my opinion. You know, Kemba, it's the handle that you mentioned. He's definitely more of a scorer. Young is uh, a better passer than Kemba already, which is not a shot at Kemba. Young is just an awesome passer. Right. He's so good. That um, is, so, he's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's not a shot at anybody. Yeah, Trey, I think if you were... That is project- a natural gift he has. Yeah, he's, he's probably a top 10 passer in the league right now already, which is outrageous but it i'd have to think about that but i'm not going to disagree yeah i mean i I need to sit i really need to sit down i keep saying that i'm going to do this i keep meaning to sit down and like write out the people that i i think are definitely better passers than he is it's a very small list (laughs) um it's like lebron and there's a couple other people that's that that's about it there aren't that many people that are better passers than he is at this moment but anyway i don't want to get too too sidetracked by that but it it, uh, just you know going back to the defense thing we talk about it all the time and i think this might be controversial but right now I think we kind of already know that Trey's a good offensive player. Um, the shooting has come and gone at certain times, but even if it settles in the mid-30s, which I think is pretty low-end expectation for Young, he's already a plus offensive player. Like, if you can come in and average at 20 years old, come in and average 18-8, and eight, and do it with reasonable efficiency, which is what he's done this year, while carrying a massive workload, that's one big thing that has to be taken into account, too. There was some of that rookie ranking stuff this week, when it, or last week, I should say comparing young to guys like Marvin Bagley or Shea Gilgis Alexander. And it's like, I get it's It's really tough and really early to do that. But one thing that has to be said repeatedly is that young is carrying a workload that no other rookie aside from Luca is carrying. And even then 
I think Trey probably, I mean, you could argue he has even a bigger workload than Luca, but that's kind of always similar in that Luca's like the only guy they have right now. Trey offensively has been the engine from day one, which is crazy to ask a guy to do that, but he's actually held up pretty decently. I mean, in November, he was terrible, but other than that, even before that and even after that, he's been really, really uh, good offensively. So that's a nice baseline to work one, work from, I should say. He has been really good offensively, but I do want to say that I want that I want to add that a lot of these praises for him are for a rookie like praises. Like True. Trey Young is good offensively in this not as a passer, but I just as a passer, he is already an, he's already a high level NBA player quality. But I do want to say like offensively, like he's effective, but I'm looking at kind of his per month shooting numbers, and outside of that hot February, like he's kind of below average for the amount he's taking. Now I understand that a lot of that is someone's got to shoot on the Hawks and he's the guy that's going to shoot and that's just the way it's going to be. And he's streaky. And if you want him, if he wants to be the player that the Hawks want him to be, he'll need to find a way to be that high volume three point shooter and effective, which that can come over time. But, and again, that does kind of fit into what we were talking about earlier. Where it's like, this is sort of expected of him, which is when you watched him in college, he had these stretches like February where he can't miss from three point range. Then yeah, I mean, and around one, one it thing, and was not that case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, one comp there. And I agree with you in general, you know, he, he had the one, he's had one really bad month. That was November. He was awful in November. And then he had the one scalding hot shooting month in February. Um, if you, I mean, it all counts, but you know, the, for the season, he's about 53% true shooting, which is not good, but it's not like actively harmful. Like it's about the same as guys this season as guys like D'Angelo Russell and Jamal Murray. Um, looking at other guys in this range, Jeff Teague is about in that range too. John Wall before he got injured. Like Shots it's not, it's not a good number necessarily. But for a twenty-year-old point guard, it actually is fairly impressive when you talk about him compared to what he's been asked to do. I do think that there is a, a reasonable expectation that, that that's going to improve as he a gets some help around him. And B, um, just matures. And, you know, the gap between 53% true, true shooting, which is where he is this year, um, guys who are like all-star-ish players are about 55%. Like Kemba Walker, 55% true shooting this year. De'Aaron Fox, 55% true shooting this year. Chris Paul, um, Drew Holiday is 55.5%. Like that's, even if he just gets there, that's all he kind of needs to do. When you're talking about him doing that with elite passing, um, that's like... At least offensively, it's like a fringe all-star level, and that's not that far away from where he is right now at twenty. So that's kind of why right, I say like, that. I, I, I agree with you that he's not like good, good, good top, you know, in all capital letters as a full player this year. Although he has been for the last month or so um, offensively, but I, I just have no worry at all about his offense anymore, honestly. Right, like I'm with you that a lot of these areas are going to improve. Like you already see in one area that he's improved in a bunch just over the course of the season is just getting to the line. Yep. Like you look at his free throw attempt numbers and how often he like after the all-star break really just or really in even in early January, but really after the all-star break, he just started getting to the line all the time. Like he's figured out how to attack lanes, how to create contact, how to just kind of work the refs in that way. And that's a necessary skill for a guy of his size because you cannot be a smallish point guard and not be able to get to the line or at least know how to fight through contact. He's showing that and if he's able to take that three-point shot and bump it up to like 36% on six attempts a game with those free throw numbers, he's going to be a monster efficient player with that passing. And like you said, that is almost, that's a fringe to borderline all-star candidate type player. And like you said, he's 20. I do think the Hawks have found, at least for now, 
I want to I want to be optimistic. They're starting point guard of the future, at least, in which that is so nice to hear for teams when they're drafting because so many draft these guys. Like I'm going to go back to the Magic for example. They took Alfred Payton to be their point guard of the future. That never panned out. They kept <laughs> waiting for it and it never panned out. When you know you got it this early, it's so relieving as a team to know, okay, we got our point guard. He plays like this. Let's build around it for that. That is just so relieving for teams. Yeah, I mean, something that I've been saying forever, and I'm, I'm going to do a deep dive on this at some point in the near future, um, but even when it comes to draft slot, Trey Young, number, number five overall pick, that sounds like someone who's going to be like a no-doubt really good player. Um, but if you look at players drafted in that range, an average outcome for number for a number five overall pick is not as high as people think it is. Like you obviously can find some stars there. You know, Boogie Cousins was a, was a number number five pick. Kevin Love number five pick. Dwayne Wade number five pick. But elsewhere, you also have Chris Dunn, Mario Hazonia, Dante Exum, Alex Lynn, Thomas <laughs> Robinson, um, Ricky Rubio even. And Ricky Rubio is solid, but he's not someone who you're like overjoyed about anymore. Jeff Green number five pick. Like. I think, it, and it's not just a number five pick slot. Like anywhere outside of number one, basically, I think people's expectations are generally too high. Um, so I think people's you know, expectations are generally too high for the draft entirely. But that's well, a, I agree, that's I agree a with you. Argument. It is, and it's someone we could, we could do a lot of time on in general. But I'm just saying, like, I think people, you'll probably get some pushback to like making a statement that you think is correct, and I agree with you is correct about you know the fact the fact that the Hawks find their starting point guard is a big deal, and I agree with you on that. But there'll be a Hawks fan that wants to tell you that he's already going to be a no-doubt superstar. Um, and that's there, there's a big gap there, but I do think it's like one step at a time. And getting a number, at number five overall, granted it was with a trade down and all that fun stuff, you know, getting that guy who has already proven himself, in my opinion, to be a foundational-ish piece is huge. I mean, even if you, even if you're not the highest person on Trey Young, and I know Hawks fans are generally really high on him because he's their guy, and whatever with every reason he's been awesome offensively. Um, even if you're not that high on him, the very baseline of hitting on that pick is huge already, and it's doubly huge when you made the deal for Luke and all that fun stuff. Which I, I, I would take, I'm going to remove, remove that from the, from the equation now, but it's important that he was going to be good for this franchise. Um, and at, at the very least, I think he's going to be good. Whether he's great is another discussion entirely that we'll have another time. But the fact that he's already going to be good is really nice. It is so good to have that foundational piece, as you said. And one thing that's great about knowing that he's going to be good already is I remember the negative uh, or the just kind of assumed expectation of him when he was coming out of college from the average analysis of him was, yeah, he'll probably be a gunner off the bench yeah, because he won't be able to play any defense at all and he'll he's going to shoot a lot and be inefficient, but he'll have hot nights, which that was kind of the expected comp of him, which it wasn't really an insult to him. It was just kind of like people saw what we're seeing now as a potential, but when we were when you asked someone was like, okay, what is the most likely outcome of this player? You didn't see this. You saw how most people you saw the gunner type bench player because that's just yep. what we had to go on. That wasn't people trying to say he can't become what he is now because obviously he's proven. Yes, he is this. He's going to be this. But I, well, at least we assume he's going to be this. There's really weird cases where guys stop being good after one year. It's weird and stunning, and I don't think he'll be the case. But who knows? But that's just show. It just shows how much he's improved. He's already like not improved, but proven. No, he has. He has improved, by the way. <laughs> he has. But I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to. 
I don't like to say improved after like you're, you expect them to improve over the course of a rookie right. year. It's I a just natural more, growth, right? He's done. He's already exceeded the expectations that were set for him by many people, and that's impressive. And then it allows people to even higher expectations, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's definitely. I know that. I mean, he's definitely been better than anyone could have rationally expected him to be. I know there's people out there that had him number one or number two in draft boards, and I totally understand that. But if you were trying to take a rational approach to what was like an average outcome for him as a rookie, he's been better than that, flat out. Um, you know, I guess congrats to anybody that saw this coming, like as a likelihood or a probability. Congratulations to you. You're smarter than I am. But uh, he's been better this year than I think anyone could have rationally inspected. Like, I know people were high on him, and I understand that completely. You know, his upside, that's something that I've been saying, and I, I would certainly, I just admitted to the fact that he's been better than I thought he was going to be. But even over the summer when he was drafting before the draft, no one was questioning his upside. His upside was always sky high. It was how low the floor was. That was the big question. And I think now the extremely low floor, like, I guess, you know, it was a small, a small outcome, but like there was a chance before the draft, as there is with basically anyone in the draft lottery, that he was not going to be an NBA player or if he was going to just be a backup point guard. That was on the table for at least pretty much anybody in the draft. Like, unless you're a number one overall pick, like Locke, there are, there are, there is a chance along the way that you wash out. Um, whether, you know, how many number two, number three overall picks have there been that wash out? It just happens. Trey Young no longer has a chance to do that. I agree with you that there is a, world in which maybe he levels off. It's happened before in NBA history. You know, there are guys who have just been great early on and just really cooled off after that. But I don't think Young is that kind of player. I think he's going to continue to improve. You know, again, how how, how high the ceiling is now is up for debate. But um, no question about it now, he's a proven commodity to some extent on offense. And that's um, a nice baseline to have, especially when you're pairing him with other young guys and future draft picks and a plan. Because that's one, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about the Hawks other than about Trey was just the plan in general. I think we talk about during the season, especially Hawks fans and myself included. We break we break down games and talk about individual players and, but big picture, the plan seems to be working. And but more importantly for me, they have a plan. And as, as we sort of transition into the, talking about the bottom tier a little bit, that's always something that's stark to me and the people that I've I know you have and I have and people nationally have kind of noticed that the Hawks more so than teams like the Knicks and the Suns and the bad teams in the league. The Hawks have a very, very clear plan, and that's like really comforting for a lot of people. Their plan is definitely not what a lot of people... A lot of people, when um, this new front office took over, just said, oh, well, it's going to be process part two, and I thought that was a little extreme. Uh, I wasn't particularly... At the beginning of the season, I wasn't low on what their plan was. I just wanted to kind of see it being put into action, like what exactly their overall goal is I can kind of see the picture of it now, like where they're kind of going. They're not trying to be the warriors again, which was the concern because when you, when you go get warriors people and then their two draft picks are the next coming of Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, you're going to get a little worried that they're trying to to repeat something that's kind of unrepeatable. But I really see the, the moving pieces. I see what they're kind of trying to do here and I'm definitely higher on it than I was. What I really do in, like about this roster a lot and kind of what they've been forming is a mistake. A lot of teams make with um, development is they just go out and get a bunch of young guys. And then they fill the roster with not vet with just veterans that are looking for a paycheck to just fill out roster space and to kind of play every once in a while. 
they don't go get the guys that make sense or the guys that have upside. They don't go get Dwayne Dedman, which I know he's been here for a little bit now, but just using him as an example, as someone who started off and became a different player entirely and became something else completely in Atlanta. Like that's an example of what Atlanta wants to do with the players they're getting. They don't go get, they don't turn a guy like Alex Len, who was honestly, in my opinion, a complete and total non NBA player bust out of Phoenix and turn him into an NBA player. Like that just, that doesn't happen everywhere. They don't go get Vince Carter and get maybe the best role, the best role veteran in the NBA on their roster to help these young guys grow. Most teams don't get that. And the Hawks did that. And it's working so beautifully for them. You see the pieces. Most teams don't go get Jeremy Lin and then flip them for assets later. Like it's just these, there are these teams where I know it's not a, there's no hard set rule of steps plan that you follow to rebuilding. But if there was the Hawks are following it pretty, pretty well and doing the stuff that so many teams try to skip to make it go faster. Yeah, I mean, they've been really good at, as you mentioned, sort of finding value in some veteran-ish players like Len and even Deadman early on, and they got some good stuff out of Mike Muscala for a while, and Ursula Soba for a few months, and Vince Carter is another thing entirely, but they brought that guy in. Like, they're not, they were never trying to be the process sixers. Um, it's a rebuild in that way, but they were never trying to be awful. That's something I was saying over the summer, and that's a good place to transition now into the bottom-tier conversation, because the one thing that I did say a lot over the summer and got and got yelled at by, by a lot of people was that the Hawks were not, were not going to be the worst team in the league. I was right about that. Um, very <laughs> right about that. Because um, most, I mean, you remember this, most of the preseason power rankings and projections had the Hawks at 30 or at the very highest 29 with the Kings at 30. They were basically, those were the two teams that most people saw in the bottom. And a lot of people had the Hawks number 30. And part of that was that everyone knew that they weren't trying to win. At the same time, it never made sense to me because the Hawks had veterans. They Even if you ignored the Vince Carter types, they had Deadman and they had um, even returning young veterans like Torian Prince and even John Collins coming back for year two, et cetera, et cetera. Like they, they just never were going to be as bad. They had Jeremy Lin, by the way, who was ended up playing pretty decently before he got traded or not traded, but bought out. Um, yeah. So, you know, let's, let's revisit this early on. That was my. Oh, wait, they str- did buy him out. I just they did. made a completely wrong statement about flipping him for assets. I, no, I they were like, trying to. Uh, it, 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 it didn't uh, sit with me until I heard that out loud. And I was like, wait, yeah. Uh, they tried did, to. Did they get any assets at the deadline? No. Well, they got some. They got some money from uh, Boston to take on Jabari Bird. Um, oh yeah, they did the classic uh, trade then for someone. Then, then buy. Then wave. <laughs> yes. uh, but they probably gave some of that back. Um, by sending by doing Tower Dorsey a favor and sending him to Memphis um, and taking back Shelvin Mack, who they cut. So anyway, it was a pretty well, quiet deadline. So I was wrong about Lynn, but I will say they made the idea of sign this good veteran and then try to flip him. For, like, they could have traded I mean, without getting tried. too deep into this, they, they could have traded him, but they didn't want to take back money. And that was why right. they didn't do that. Um, and that's when you have a guy for 12-something million dollars, it's tough to um, necessarily match salary and all that fun stuff. But anyway, uh, yeah, so... That was my strongest take preseason. I think my second was that the Hawks were not going to be the worst team in the league. My second strongest take was that Orlando was going to be bad, and they are not. Like, they're not good, but they're not as bad as I thought they were going to be. So now as someone who lives, I used to live there or close to there, um, you could do a victory lap now because the Magic are much better than I thought they were going to be, and you're, and you're right about this, so congratulations to you. I'm not just going to victory lap on you. I'm going to victory lap on everyone in the NBA freaking media about the Magic. Listen, the Robbie, of- I, I know Robbie Callen and I, a good friend of the program, we were very, very low about Orlando. 
and uh, not just yeah. Robbie. Uh, Matt, if you listen to this, I love you. Oh, Matt. I love you so much. I listened to Matt and Robbie do a podcast where they were doing like their guaranteed unders, and they both were just like ragging on the magic. And I, I talked to him about this, and I went, but Steve Clifford's a really good coach, and he does this all the time where he takes these teams that shouldn't be this bad. It makes them get like 30 wins or so. Or this team that should be way worse than they are gets them 30 wins or so. And he responded, like, who's their point guard? I was like, DJ Augustine. He's like, exactly. I was like, whatever. I guess I'm wrong about this. I'm like, no, I was right. Steve Clifford's pulling guys. <laughs> he's pulling wins out of his butt with teams that's with a team that really should not be winning as much as it does. I still don't know yeah. how they're doing it, honestly, because of the point guard stuff. It just doesn't make sense. Anyway. They have like, they have a great defense. And DJ Augustine, is they, their backup point guard situation is a, is a disaster. Isaiah Briscoe was kind of the – hope of the second unit for a little while until he got hurt and now they're going back to jerry and grant and that's gonna be a way to finish the season because i was at a game once where jerry and grant uh or dj augustine got hurt and um it was towards it was a a close game at the end with the pistons against the pistons and even though augustine rolled his ankle they tried to play him limping around very clearly not able to like move at all and place the playing grant because they didn't trust grant so much that's about that backup point guard situation is. Yeah, but I mean, they, your, your boy Isaiah, Isaiah Briscoe is not someone, you know, all respect to him is not someone you want to be playing NBA minutes at point guard. No, I mean, he's he in his defense, he's been pretty solid in what he has done. But yes, like if you're trying to actually like win games and like if they were in the West, that would be a complete. If they were in the West, they wouldn't have any shot at the playoffs, but that's besides the point. The <laughs> point was that I, my thing was like that they were a 35 to 38 win team. I didn't expect them to be the East to be quite this bad. So I definitely didn't have them in the playoff race, but I had them like, you know, in the 10 to 11 to 12 spot. Instead, they're in the nine to eight to seven spot because the East is, it's just a special brand of bad this year, but <laughs> their defense is good. I've said last year that they had, that there were pieces that are worked on this team that you showed pe- that you saw them kind of come together and form a unit that worked at the beginning of last season until it all kind of fell apart just because of injuries to key players like Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan Isaac has been phenomenal. Aaron Gordon, now he's got his money, is playing in a, is playing in a system. Vucevic took an even larger step this year that I even I didn't expect to see him from. He was always a better def- He's always been a better defender than he's been given credit for, at least for the last three years or so. Fournier hasn't been as good as you would hope for, but like there are NBA players that for the longest time with the Magic, I've always said this is a team that has NBA players that if you had them in other places, people would love because they'd be great on those teams. Just when you put them all on the Magic, they don't form enough to win enough games because they're not good enough as a unit to win enough games. But as individuals, they're good NBA players. So my whole thing was when I was looking at some of the teams that everyone had like them being worse than, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Cavaliers – I was like, no, like the, they have these guys have like legitimate NBA players that be playing the rotation minutes anywhere. I was wrong about the Hawks. I was very wrong about the Hawks, or, or at least I am. I was wrong about the Hawks when they were healthy. When they were not healthy, I was totally right about the Hawks. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I was just I didn't see how this group of players that they were legit NBA rotation pieces on other teams couldn't, you know, win thirty five games with a really good coach like Steve Clifford who. As we've seen now, as we see now, like I'm gonna go check the rankings real quick. I'm pretty sure they're a top ten defense, ranging. I think they're like the second best defense or second best net rating or something since the All Star break. Well, they have the best. De- uh, I believe they have the best defensive rating in the NBA in February for the month, um, which was 
staggering. Um, I want to come back to that in a second, but but it's sort of bridging this into this. It's sort of a natural place because the Magic had a over-under of 30 and a half, which I know for a fact, um, and they're going to go over that. But um, speaking of that realm of They're already over it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, speaking of, the, of that realm of possibility, though, I do want to talk to the people about the good folks at my bookie, and it's time because it's the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and it's the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like to fill out a bracket or pick a champion or, you know, pick predict first round upsets or anything about anything sort of in that realm. My bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Uh, you can talk about Zion or put your money where your mouth is. Virginia is going to be in an interesting spot this year. Coming back after a 16 seed loss last year in Kentucky is always a fan favorite. But if you know the answers or if you think you know the answers, I should say, my bookie is the place to get in on the action because they have someone something for everyone. And even if you are a multiple bracket guy, which nobody likes that multiple bracket guy, you have to have your bracket and roll from there. But my bookie has been in the business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business and the best part is they pay out fast when you win and i'm talking about just a 48 hour turnaround which is very very fast in this industry so you need to bet with the best kick back and enjoy march mass while your picks can cash deposit with my bookie today with promo code locked on nba that's promo code locked on nba for a 50 percent sign up bonus right now that's promo code locked nba locked on nba and with my bookie you play you win and you get paid all right chris um I had to talk to people about that because it's very, very important, and it was definitely topical because of the fact. Have that, you ever won your uh, brackets before? Um, ooh, have I ever won? I don't think I have actually. I used to. This is probably illegal, but I used to run. <laughs> uh, I used to run a rather significant um, bracket pool um, that I actually started doing in high school, which tells you people tells people about how I have been this way for a very long time. Um, Heathens. I ran a pool for like, I think eight or 10 years, something like that. Then I started my junior year of high school that grew to be pretty large. Uh, then I sort of lost the will to put it all together and do all that fun stuff. Um, I'm always in a few. Uh, I've never won, I don't think, like actually won. I've gotten in the money in, in a couple of those, but never actually uh, took home the grand prize. Have you won one? Because it's, it's kind of, you know, it's basically, there's some skill involved, but at the end of the day, like it's, it's a lot of luck you have to have. I've won... There's a couple small ones I've won, like, you know, among a small group of friends. As far as, like, large groups go, um, back when Daily Dime Live chat was still a thing, we'd put together uh, groups, and I think the basketball Twitter group had one one year. And I think – I don't remember if I won the basketball Twitter one. I definitely won the Daily Dime Live one once or twice. I don't. I know I've won a group at least twice. Uh, the I, year uh, do- yeah, my, my, one, my one direct memory now that I'm thinking about was – the 2013 NCAA tournament when Michigan lost to Louisville in the final, um, I had a I had a pool I was in where I just took a shot on my Wolverines, um, and if they had won, I would have won. And it was like a 200 person pool, um, and they didn't they didn't win, Chris. That was <laughs> yes, I I know that because that's one of the two I won. I won because the only times I've won are the years where I picked the champion, and that's um, what you kind of have to do, especially especially in a big one. You have to have the champion, or you're never gonna win. Right. I picked the one where Duke won recently, and I picked the one where Louisville won. Listen, and, uh, if the official if the official was just going to let Louisville foul for six straight six straight games, then <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'm not kidding, but that's uh, it's, uh, the the the, uh, the scars are still fresh, I should say. All right, really we, we've gone we've gone too far afield, but that's what we do when we when you and I talk, and it's coming. NCAA tournament is a week and a half from now, so yeah. By the way, we have, just as a plug organically here that I didn't plan on. 
I'm going to have a pre-tournament podcast about the NBA draft that's going to include a lot of talk about the NCAA tournament, so you'll want to stay tuned for that and subscribe and all that fun stuff. Okay, uh, back to what we're talking about, which is Orlando and the rest of the bottom of the NBA. Orlando's clearly out of that tier now, which is nice for you especially. Um, right. The teams that are bad below the Hawks, there are four of them. It is Chicago, it is Phoenix, it is Cleveland, it is New York. I think Cleveland is a little different because Cleveland lost Kevin Love, and since he came back, they've been not as terrible. Um, they've been respectable. Yeah, whereas the other three teams didn't have that excuse. Uh, New they York. Smack the heck out of Toronto. I think yeah, yes, they did. That was a weird night. Uh, that was as we're recording this on Monday night. The, the Cavs beat the crap out of the Raptors, which was not anticipated. Um, and then Sergio Ibaka tried to beat the crap out of Marcus Chris. Yes, he did. That was a crazy <laughs> thing to see. Uh, but anyway, the thing that I was most right about, other than the Hawks um, not being the worst team in the league, was that the Knicks would be. And I was very right about that. Uh, part of that was that I thought they were going to sell. Part of that was that I thought Porzingis wasn't going to come back. Both those things happened. Um, <laughs> you were right, sort of. <laughs> and uh, he they're just awful, honestly. So, I mean, we could just say what we were right and wrong on real quickly, but the bottom tier doesn't include the Hawks at all. It doesn't include the Magic, obviously. Um, but, you know, in terms of just worst teams in the league right now, Dallas is actually, I think, worse than Atlanta. Like, Dallas is probably as bad as anybody in the league right now. I was staggering. low on Dallas. I had no idea why people were so high on Dallas beyond Luka Doncic, which I, Luka, uh, Doncic is, Luka Doncic is legit. He is a legit player. He's probably he's going to be good. a star. Yes. But I just didn't see – that team never had talent. At no point have they had talent. The and, now players they have, and now they have less. <laughs> right. That was the thing. Like everyone, like I kept saying, it's like their best players are Wes, are Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan, who they rely a lot on. And then they traded them, and they got worse. And they weren't good in the first place when they were in Dallas. Like No, and, and Harrison Barnes, who is not great. Oh, God, I he forgot could, he was a playing too. But he can soak up possessions, there. and he's not there anymore. And, yeah, they're, they're just – they're horrendous. In fact, Hawks fans are really worried about the Mavs. We'll have plenty, plenty of coverage on, on that and their plight. Down the stretch here, I promise this will not be the podcast for that, but it's com- it's coming. Um, but yeah, they're they're really bad. In fact, uh, I was given good friend of mine, and I think yours, Tim Cato of the Athletic. Um, he came on my podcast before the season started, and I think projected like forty one wins for the Mavs, which is not oh, great. I, so. I don't. Sorry, Tim. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I uh, was I when I was still at CBS, I did one final power rankings right before I left, and. I put the Mavericks last because I wasn't impressed with their offseason because I uh, my stance was I'm not going to bump a team based on just their draft. Like, that is not something you do. Um, I was not impressed by their offseason. I didn't see how they improved in any way. Uh, like, I put Phoenix above them in the, sen- because in the sense of – by the start of the, the season, I would put Phoenix back at the bottom. But And I was like, right after the draft and free agency, I was like, I was more impressed with Phoenix going out and getting someone like Trevor Reza than I was with Dallas's – getting DeAndre Jordan. Like that, it's unbelievable how bad um it's unbelievable how bad the Suns are. Um since you met We can both right victory lap on that cuz why well, just, it never made sense. Any, why in the world were people high, ever high on them? They were the only team since the 7 win Charlotte Bobcats to finish 30th and offensive rating, defensive rating and net rating. And I was being told all summer and I know you can vouch for me on this that they were going to like be legit this season and there was no evidence to say otherwise. <laughs> there there was a whole movement, not that anyone was like picking them to make the playoffs, but there was this whole notion that they were that they were going to be in the mix all season long and I, I understand that they add Trevor Reza and he's helpful, but at the same time, man, that, that never made sense. And granted, I thought they were going to be better than this. 
I will not say that they were, that I thought that they were going to be the worst team in the league most of the season. You know, the Knicks have, over, have overtaken them now, but they've been firmly a bottom two team all season long. I didn't anticipate that necessarily, but I never thought they were going to be good, and they're not. I, I honestly, I think, I think when we had our podcast, I was low on the Hawks at the time, as they were. I think, I think my stance was I can see them being the worst team in the NBA, but if I had to pick, I would pick the Suns because I just, I never. Like, I was really supposed to expect Trevor Ariza as a role player who they ended up trading because he was that unhelpful to them, was supposed to help DeAndre Ayton realize his potential as a rookie. Like, no, unless DeAndre Ayton was going to be the next, was going to be the next, the first great rookie since Shaq to actually like make a team almost reach the playoffs. Like, no, there, there was no reason at all to believe that they were going to be competing for the playoffs in the West, no less. Like, they're just, no. And then I saw, like, even in the East, they wouldn't be good. Like, the Suns are just. But the, I, <laughs> Just I the, hate the disappointment the in your voice, Chris. Uh, you know, I hate watching the Suns. <laughs> they're they not fun so to watch. The Hawks, the Hawks played them in a couple of uh, less entertaining games this season that I had to slog through, and I've had to watch them just for as you have just to know so what's going many on. Fights. But yeah, they're just like, for, they're bad. for a team as bad as they are. They have no. Like there is no reason for them to get as many fights as they do. Like no, you. You're a doormat in the NBA. You have no respect, and you have not earned any respect. Just stop, tra- stop getting in fights. Go, go play basketball. <laughs> yeah, I, I sound like such smart. an old man right now. No, I think you're right uh, about that in general. Um, I don't know. It's it's important to note that things that are weird happen in March, like for instance, the Cavs tonight beating up on a playoff bound title contender ish team. Um, that stuff happens. Like Phoenix beat Milwaukee twice. In like a month, that was. Weird. I will say they're five and five over the last ten. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, the Cavs are better. The Suns have been playing better. The Knicks haven't even. I mean, they lost six in a row now. But before that, they had a little stretch where they won like three out of five or something like that. Like weird. It's almost like March is not the time to make conclusions about this stuff. <laughs> um, at the same time, we kind of know who the bad teams are. So we were wrong on some of them. We were right on some of them. But at the end of the day, the bad teams are. Other than Sacramento, who everyone was wrong about, because the Kings... Not a single I mean, person was right about Sacramento. It's like if we've you almost, say you were right about Sacramento, you were a homer. We've almost forgotten now, I think, because the Kings have been good all, pretty much all year, or at least pretty good all year, that no one thought they were going to be good. Like Even people that were high on Sacramento were like, were like maybe, maybe they didn't get to 28 wins or something like that. It was never... Uh, for, it was never 500 projections for the Kings. In fact, they were, as I, said, I think I said this before, but they were the one team I saw a couple of people pick to be worse than the Hawks. Um, and they are not worse than the Hawks. They've been really good all year long and playing with incredible pace and all that fun stuff. And you know, I'm not sure if they're, you know, good or just okay, but they have a couple of nice pieces. They have Fox, who was really, really good this year. Bagley's been better than I thought he was going to be as a rookie. They've been fun. Um, so, as I would say they are the story of the league in terms of just the, a team that's supposed to be bad becoming better. You have the Kings, you have the Nets, and then, I mean, maybe you're maybe you're Orlando Magic are in there. They're just not as fun. The Magic are – the Magic's thing is they're a surprise team and that they're better than what people are expecting, but I don't think – they're just kind of hitting their ceiling right now. Like I will be – I've dropped most of my fandom when getting into media, but – as a basketball analyst and what fandom is left to me, I will be absolutely furious if they double down on this roster. There is no reason to double down on this roster. Oh, as, just, as, you, as you should be. Uh, that's like, listen. As uh, my the most is, they can. My, sorry, my go fandom ahead. Is, no, you're saying uh, my fandom is also dead, but 
two years ago, um, the Hawks waited one year too long to rebuild. And that, that year was the Dwight Howard extravaganza and all of that. And it was, uh, it was rough. And, you know, in my, I was calling for the rebuild and they ended up doing it. And I think the fruition, it's coming to fruition to some extent. Now there were some mixed feelings about that, but I agree, you know, that, that Hawks team made the playoffs. They had about a 37 win point differential, but they made the playoffs and it was like, Oh, you're gonna break up a playoff team. And it's like, did you watch this team? The team, this team's not going anywhere. Like <laughs> that they was the team that needed to die. <laughs> I mean, they were better than that. I mean, obviously they were not like a complete disaster. They made the playoffs. Like they weren't horrific, but it was, I was, I was just trying to think like, how do you look at this roster and see it working long-term and Orlando's in a better spot than that because they have some, they have some young guys, but at the same time, like that's not going to win you that, that roster's not going to win you anything of significance. It's just not going to happen that way. Right. Like they need to move on from as much as they're great players. They've done a lot for, it's kind of unfair to players like Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier that they spent so much time kind of dealing with all the BS that, you know, was the Rob Hennigan era, and then they're the two that has kind of has to go. I will say to Vucevic, if the Magic were to somehow convince him to take like a three, year, a reasonable three year deal, like I say they should offer that one hundred percent because Mo Bamba is nowhere near ready yet. Like if you have a capable center to have someone like Mo Bamba sit behind, go for it. Like just just do it. There's no reason not to. But the thing is, Vucevic is going to be asking for the most amount of money he can over the longest period of time because. He's as, he, as he should right cash in on the all-star game big man like cash in go go to dallas <laughs> go somewhere uh but yeah it's uh yeah speaking of bad speaking of bad teams though like i can't remember who it was someone had a tweet the other day where they pointed out how the knicks are doing the whole tanking thing where they're losing a lot of games but you watch them and you don't actually think they're building towards anything no and and they're I've been disappointed with David Fisdale this year without going too deep into that. Um, I think part of that's identity. You know, for instance, to use the Hawks as an example, this is the Hawks podcast. Um, the Hawks have a very clear plan on offense. They have a great shot profile. They take shots at the rim and shots from three, and it's a very modern approach. They play fast. Lloyd Pierce has ex- knows exactly what he wants to do, and it makes perfect sense. Even if it doesn't always work, you know what they're doing. If you watch the Knicks, man, that it's not that. It's the it's the opposite of that. Like, and granted, they have really bad talent. I understand that their pieces don't work. You know, their 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 young prospect, their rookie prospect is Kevin Knox, who is just not very good. Um, and they have some mismatched pieces, but at the same time, you could you should still be able to see a plan on the court. Like, obviously, they have a an off court plan. That plan is basically cross your fingers and hope people come there in July. But on the court, that's man, what it is. But on on the court, they don't. There's no plan. Like that's the thing about the Knicks. Like. If you watch a Hawks game or watch two Hawks games, you could very easily see what they're trying to do. If you watch the Knicks, man, th- there's just nothing coherent about their systems, and that makes it even worse. You watch the Hawks and you understand that okay, when they go into free, when they go into the summer, they're going to go out and they're going to try it. <laughs> for the love of God, draft someone that's good on defense. For the love of God, <laughs> they're, they're going to need they're going to need to do that. But you know, they're going to go look for defensive players and they're going to go look for bigs. Like that, you know, that's what the Hawks are going to do. Like that's just that makes logical sense for them. You whether that's a draft or a free agency, the Knicks, like you said, it's them and the Lakers. It's hey, superstars, come here. We're a big market. And part of it is talent with the Knicks, but a lot of it isn't. I mean, they don't have talent, and again, that's worth saying over and over again because you have some point you need talent. But even if they had talent, they're not playing a brand of basketball that makes any sense. It's just. You know, 
sorry, David Fisdale, like who I thought was actually a good hire there. It just has not worked to this point in time. And uh, man, the Knicks are so bad. I'm sorry. That's the one team that I, you know, this, we've made fun of the Suns. We've made fun of most of these teams. If I had to pick a team to never watch again this year, it'd be the Knicks. The, I can't handle the Knicks. They're, uh, that's unwatch- they're, they're unwatchable for me. Yeah, they're on my list of teams where I just don't bother at this point. Like, just there's nothing to there's nothing to learn from them. There's nothing to enjoy from them. They they just they are the Knicks and they are who they are. They are they are who they are. That is a uh, well said by you. Uh, all right, we can we could probably wrap this thing up. But please please share anything else that you we have not hit on so far that you wanted to get off your chest because I realize we're 50 minutes in right now and this has been a very typical Brad and Chris podcast that we're all over the place. <laughs> But uh, please share anything that you would like to. And if there's nothing else that you have not got off your chest that you want to share, please plug yourself. I know you're not like firmly in the basketball media anymore, but you're still around. Uh, if you want to read what I'm writing, definitely still check out Dime. I'm still writing over there. I wrote a piece recently about the Warriors defense and how it's kind of really connected to Draymond Green in the sense where they have they have their currently their worst defense as far as like rankings go across the league since they had Draymond as a rookie. And I can't also help but notice that Draymond himself has kind of declined as a defender, which that could very well be connected. Uh, they're currently not a top. I'm going to double check this before I say this, but last time I looked, they were currently not a top 10 defense. They're still not. They are 14th now. That's actually far, even further down than where they were. Um, the last team to have the worst def- defense, not a, the worst, a defense that was not top 10 and win the championship was the 2001 Lakers. So maybe they're going to do what the 2001 Lakers did and win again anyways because they're the Warriors and they're ridiculous. But if for whatever reason they fall short, that might be why they do because defense could be the final, the first weakness we've seen in Golden State ever since this whole dynasty started. So go check that out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Barnwall. And if you really want to support me and happen to like me for whatever reason, go buy NBA Live 20. I am currently an employee over at EA Sports. We are making NBA Live 20. It is going to kick ass. And if you don't like it, uh, tweet, um, uh, I don't know, tweet the Dime Up Rocks account about it because <laughs> Mar- Martin Martin will tell me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, please uh, please hold your, hold your fire. It's not Chris's fault, but it's going to go well. And uh, it's fun stuff to hear about what you're doing over there. Um, and we still get to chat all the time, which is nice for me. Um, anyway, uh, follow Chris. He's fun and great and the world's greatest Orlando Magic advocate. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you were right and I was wrong. That's, that's, that's how I in this podcast just to say that you were right and I was wrong. I mean, um, I was wrong about plenty of other things. Like, I think we also talked about the Bulls and I was like promoting the Bulls as not being as terrible as they ended up being. What's weird though is I still like <laughs> the Bulls. Can follow me. I still like some of their players. I just can't. They just are so bad that I think they're like the magic where they have players I like, but they're not going to mix together well. Yeah, well, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, all right, man. Thank you so much for joining me on the pod. It will be less than five months before you come back. I will promise you that right now on the air. So we'll do yes. it again very soon. Um, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the podcast, and we will see you, everyone. After Wednesday's game, I will be in the building for Wednesday's game, Hawks-Grizzlies, and uh, the next podcast that you hear in this feed will be a recap of that contest, so please stay tuned for that.